Welcome to Beyond Politics, broadcast on WKXL and available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Matt Robeson, and I want to thank all of the folks who have gone ahead and subscribed to Beyond Politics. Your subscriptions and your ratings and your reviews really do help us out. So thanks for everyone who's done that. If you haven't done it yet, I hope you will. I wanted to bring you a conversation that I had earlier today with legendary West Virginia radio broadcaster Howard Monroe about why schools have become the epicenter of everything in American politics. And we threw on just a little bit of Trump talk at the end. So here's Howard Monroe. We've been following the legislative action down in Charleston quite a good bit. The legislature wants to consolidate the control of schools in their own body, even taking it away from the state school board, giving the legislature more power. To, to mandate how things are going to go in schools. What legislative leaders are calling the stereotype bill uh, or a transparency bill, it's a bill that is, in my mind, stealthily aimed at uh, critical race theory. The uh, GOP-controlled legislature didn't want to actively go out and attack critical race theory again because they were kind of losing that argument a little bit. So they have come up with this new thing, anti-transparency, all policies need to be posted online, lesson plans, personnel actions having to do with race, ethnicity, etc. all have to be posted online. We are seeing these kinds of things happening all across the country. They call this one the anti-transparency, or the anti-stereotype. Who could be opposed to being opposed to stereotypes, right? But it is being done in a lot of other places. I guess, Matt, because... Folks, we're beginning to catch on to the fact that critical race theory almost was a manufactured issue. Right. In, in ancient Jerusalem, what used to happen is once a year, the priests would, would get two goats, and one goat would be sacrificed to God, and the other goat would symbolically have all of the sins and misdeeds of the community cast upon it, and then the goat would be sent out into the wilderness. Well, when medieval scholars read about this and translated from the ancient Aramaic or Hebrew, they they translated it as that second goat was the escape goat. So that's where we get our word scapegoat, which all goes to show that the practice of scapegoating is literally thousands of years old and goes to the roots of Western culture and civilization. And lo and behold, it is back in full force in American politics in 2022. We are seeing a, a basic case of scapegoating. Now, it's a little bit like the movie A Few Good Men. One of the great scenes in A Few Good Men is Tom Cruise explaining that in a trial, you're not deciding guilt versus innocence. Something bad has happened. And what the lawyers for each side are doing is they're trying to give the jury someone to blame. Something very bad has happened in America. We've had the COVID pandemic, and particularly in schools. Where do people feel it most acutely? Well, they feel it most acutely in the things we care the most about, our children. Of course we do. And so something bad has happened to our children. And what you've seen over the last year or so is both parties trying to find a scapegoat and give the jury, the American people, someone to blame. The Republicans have put forward critical race theory, school closures, and mask mandates. The Democrats have put forward Donald Trump and, to some extent, the Republican Party writ large for their inability to get serious about COVID. 
And for the first year or so of the pandemic, a year plus, the Democrats were winning on that. But then as memories began to fade of Donald Trump's initial fumbling of the pandemic, his disastrous performance, and as people began to get tired of all of this, and as the suffering of kids began to feel more and more acute, people's feelings changed. And now the scapegoat coming from the Republican side felt a lot more salient. So that's that's my story for what's going on here. And it culminates in uh, across the country, and we've seen it here in West Virginia, even in our local area. It culminates in these angry, bitter, aggressive, close to violent, actually sometimes actually violent, school board meetings where parents come and pound the table and scream that, you know, you're you're doing bad things to my kids. And, I mean, school board meetings have become a flashpoint across the country for for the anger. Your, 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 your description is a good one. Somebody's got it. Somebody's got to be at fault. It's got to be the school system. Let's yell at them. And, boy, have we been yelling at our school systems. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And what's so interesting, if you dig into polling and focus grouping about this, is – there's a lot of evidence that people are just generally unhappy. They really are looking for someone to blame. And if you, if you drag the specifics in front of them, they, they don't, it's, it's an ineffable sense that something is bad. They don't like it. They are looking for something to blame, but they don't really attach blame to the specific charges that the Republicans are putting forward. So in a CBS News poll released just this week, the, the polling found that almost 60% of parents of school-aged children still believe that schools should require masks. So it's not a mask mandate thing. And it's not CRT. We know that. We know that. So e even in, in the midterm elections, when CNN did polling after that, it's true that education had risen to a top concern for 80% of respondents, but only about 25% of them said that the content of the curriculum, the CRT type stuff, was their major educational concern. That's not what's top of mind. And I featured on my Beyond Politics podcast and radio show some researchers who looked very closely at this in the Virginia gubernatorial election and did some focus grouping. And what you found is that these parents who they talked to who had flipped over and voted for Glenn Youngkin, what they were basically saying is they didn't know what CRT was. They didn't really care about that. They were angry because they felt that schools had been closed for too long, and they were just generally upset that it seemed like school boards were not responsive to how much anguish they were feeling. So it's a very generalized thing, but yes, you were right. It's coming out in the form of a lot of anger at school boards and at schools and administrators and, to some extent, teachers for this collective sense that, that our kids have all suffered. CRT, critical race theory, came in like a bang a year ago. I lose track of time. It seemed like a really good tool for the right wing to use. Uh, critical race theory somehow was teaching our kids that they were inferior and that racism was was a, a systemic problem in our society and we don't want to hear that and but but as i think matt as 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 there was pushback on that 
as the public became more aware of critical race theory, began to realize that actual critical race theory isn't taught in any public schools at a lower grade anywhere. And when it became more clear that critical race theory had sort of become a buzz phrase for teaching about slavery and teaching about racism in our society, I think a lot of folks began to push back against that, which is why I think the Republican leadership across the country, certainly here in West Virginia, kind of shifted their game plan a little bit. They stopped really going after directly critical race theory, and they begun these things like, just don't talk about divisive subjects, but make sure that people put divisive, if they're going to talk about divisive subject, you must put it online. Parents need to know divisive conversations are going to occur, and that way parents will have a way to respond. So I, I think this has been a bit of a diversion from CRT, because the truth of the matter was CRT wasn't holding up the way I think some of the original GOP leaders wanted it to be. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the the original CRT panic was largely the work of one man, a guy named Christopher Rufo, who is a researcher. Yep. He works for the Manhattan Institute. And look, full disclosure, <clears throat> I featured researchers from the Manhattan Institute on my Great Ideas podcast. Why? Because a lot of them are le- legitimate, bona fide thinkers. They're conservative, but they have a reasonable conservative outlook on various government issues that I think deserves to to be discussed. Chris Rufo has put forward, he's done a lot of research, and he's put forward kind of a vision of what's happening in schools. That's exactly what you described, Howard, exactly. And, you know, the right got very ginned up about that. And then I think you, you, you paint it perfectly. I think there was a realization that they were getting out a little bit ahead of where people were. They weren't capturing the public mood quite right because when you when you poll people when you focus group people when you talk to real human beings what they say is eh, i'm not that fussed about the idea that we should teach the reality of slavery or they really didn't understand what crt was and it reminds me a little bit of the push years ago to teach evolution in the schools versus teaching the, the biblical vision of how human beings were created, how the world was created. And what the conservative side found is, well, people aren't really up for the full-scale Bible version. And so that became kind of the soft version, intelligent design. That seems reasonable. It reminds me of just what you were saying a moment ago. It's like the anti-stereotyping. Oh, who's for stereotyping? So I do think that they've kind of found their way to a softer version of this that just captures people's generalized anxiety about what's going on in schools. But I will say one one final thing. I mean, just because this is to some extent what, what politicos call an astroturf campaign, right? It's not like real grassroots. It's, it's fake. It's astroturf. There is definitely an astroturf element to this. But it doesn't mean that Republicans aren't on to something, too. You saw it in what happened in the school board in San Francisco this week. The, the school board there, there was a recall election, and the three members recall. of the school board were recalled. Well, why? Because parents thought that these folks had been dithering about crazy, woke, progressive issues like, should we rename the schools that have been named for Diane Feinstein and Abraham Lincoln? Because maybe those are insufficiently woke names, and maybe we can't put a gay, white father 
on a volunteer parent board because that's not sufficient diversity. And they're, they're fussing about all of these things and they're not paying attention to how do we get the kids back in school? How do we get them learning? What do we do about learning loss? And people were tired of it. And, and that I think really is the crux of what's going on here because parents are legitimately concerned and angry that school administrators have got lost sight. Uh, they've lost the thread. They've lost the narrative. And in general, what you see in focus grouping and polling, again, if people want to go back in the Beyond Politics podcast feed, I featured Eliza Astro, a researcher at the Think Tank Third Way, who conducted a lot of this research. What they say is the Democratic Party overall has gotten a little bit hyper-focused on social issues, and they've lost sight of kind of the bread and butter concerns that real people have. And they've done it with a tone that's pretty insulting to people. And you can't beat deplorables by being insufferables. And all too often, that's the trap that Democrats have fallen into. I, I, I would argue that both sides have gotten too distracted with these values issues or these side issues. But I would agree with you, the Republican leadership in places where they have strong numbers have the upper hand because Democrats have sort of overplayed their hand Mm. that we want to tussle around with some of these, I hate to use that phrase woke, but want to tussle around with some of these woke issues instead of dealing with the concrete issues. I don't think Republicans do it any better. I don't think these anti-transparency bills or anti-stereotype bills, this transparency bill does any more to improve education than does changing the name of schools, but it, it, it gives, changing the name of schools or other woke discussions give the right wing something to attack. And, you know, sort of common sense people go, yeah, yeah, I get that. <laughs> I get that. Why aren't we focusing more on, you know, reading, writing, arithmetic or whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it. I also take note, as you pointed out, Chris Rufo, who was sort of the mastermind of the CRT, has now come out with this transparency concept, and he's been very clear. I mean, he's written about it. He's been very clear that since CRT didn't take it with the public, what these anti-stereotype bills or transparency bills are designed to do is to seem so benign. Like, who could be opposed to putting your lesson plans online? How could you be opposed to that? They seem so benign that when Democrats or the other side, whatever you want to call the other side, want to fight against it, want to go, oh, no, this is bad, it makes them look foolish because it's like, you're opposed to transparency. And, and And that's part of the game plan. Rufo's written about it. That's the game plan, is to put Democrats in a position where, they seem to be defending or fighting against something simple, something that most people would say, yeah, okay, sure, what's wrong with that? And it requires a little extra level of thinking, I guess, uh, Matt, to, to get to the answer to the question, what's wrong with that? Well, folks, this is why Howard Monroe is a pro in politics, because I, I, I totally agree with you, and you've just put your finger, you have, you have stated in, in slightly different and, and maybe better terms a key principle of politics and communication. I mean, for the simple way of saying it is, if you're explaining, you're losing, right? And so for, for Democrats, they have gotten cornered into a position of trying to explain something super comp in simple terms, 
And Republicans have the upper hand because they have the simpler argument, right? Transparency, you know, and, 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 and some control for parents. That sounds awfully good. I'm a Democrat and I agree with those ideas. But, I, you know, the other piece of it that, that you're, you're bringing across here is, you know, Chris Matthews, before he was the host of Hardball and gotten himself into, into some trouble, wrote a book called Hardball, which is the best practical guide to politics that I've ever read. It was assigned reading in grad school for me. And one of his chapters is called Always Concede on Principle. Always Concede on Principle. So Democrats have been put in the position where reflexively, because we like to reason things out, and, and you know, I, I, I often say that Democrat is an ancient Greek word that means repeats facts smugly. We feel like we need to win every argument on the logic and the facts, and, and we're, we're pretty smug about it. We feel like we need to defend, oh, this is what critical race theory is. We need to explain it to people. We should concede on principle. We should say, oh, yeah, we're against that, too. That's terrible. Yeah, no CRT. All right, we all agree. No one knows what it is, but we are on the same page. We don't want to do that. You know, we want to do, let's, let's you know, and, and then we can we can say what we're for. Do some jujitsu. Don't, don't get into these traps that get laid for us where we end up arguing side issues and minutia. And then what happens? People glaze over on that. It, it just goes right over their head. And they're like, wait, why are we arguing about this? I don't care. I just want to know, is my kid going to school next week? And are you teaching them how to read? Right, let's talk about something I don't like to talk about a lot. I try to leave Donald Trump in the dust and forget about him. But he's out there. He is trying to continue to have some big influence. I guess he does. Where, where do you put Donald Trump's influence right now in the Republican Party? I saw a piece yesterday in uh, Politico suggesting that his endorsements in the upcoming elections are losing some of their Trump-endorsed candidates aren't a guarantee lock anymore. Is he is he losing some of his strength in the party or not? I think it's very con uh, yes is the short answer. Yes, in in some ways, and you actually saw signs of this even going back to when he was still in office, that his endorsement in primaries was becoming less and less effective. Republicans still act as if the Trump primary is the only game in town. They're not wrong about that, but the actual record of success in, in terms of being in a primary and being the Trump candidate is a lot more mixed than Republicans act like it is. So from just from that standpoint, Yes, he he is losing. It, it's but it's complicated. It's a nuanced thing. He he's sort of become the ne'er do well brother in the family, sort of like the black sheep of the family. You have very complex emotions about him. You know, you know he's he's kind of a deadbeat. He's gotten into some trouble with the law. You kind of love him. You feel very affectionate about him. You know, from from your time when you were young together, and. You know, he can still make you laugh and you still you still enjoy spending time with him. And you don't like it when other people attack him, but you're tired of, of answering for him. And, you know, he's constantly coming up with get rich quick schemes and, you know, you're getting calls late at night. Anyway, I'm stretching this this metaphor awfully far, but you see where I'm going with this. I mean, you, you see it in the reaction of Republicans like like Senator John Thune, who's the third-ranking senator on the Republican side in the Senate, who, 
you know, on the most recent revelations about Trump and, and records and, and, you know, they, they basically end up when reporters ask them about it, they're like, you can almost hear the sigh coming through in the quote, and, and they say, oh, well, I guess all of this has been reported. Let's not talk about that. I mean, they, they've begun to kind of wear their heart on their sleeve. They, they don't want to talk about it. And you see in polling that half of Republicans kind of want to give him the thank you so much. We love you. You were great. But we're, we're ready for something new. He'd still probably be the strongest candidate in a Republican primary, he might even clear the field. Republicans might be afraid to run against him. But a lot of Republicans are, are wishing they could they could move on. And they are, you see crystal clear in polling, they don't want to talk about relitigating the 2020 election anymore. Except that's all that Donald Trump wants to talk about. Trump also has been tremendously successful in fundraising. I mean, he is, people ask me, why don't I unsubscribe? I'm on Trump mailing lists. And I mean, I get seven, eight a day, you know, from various Trump organizations, Save America, a particular one in particular, but several, you know, convinced, trying to ask for donations. And he is, he is sucking up the money. And again, I was reading a piece yesterday. He's sucking up a lot of money that maybe traditionally would have gone more to the Republican National Committee or to other Republican PACs. He's just sucking up all of the all of that cash. Yeah, he's, he's still obviously got the same hold on his followers that he always had. And there's not a lot that's going to shake that. And, you know, we've I think we've actually talked about this topic before, even before he lost. It, it was a big parlor game. I actually wrote an article about this, oh gosh, a year and a half ago, about whether Donald Trump would continue to exercise a hold on the Republican Party if and when he was out of office. And Republicans were split on this. And I think that's what you're seeing, is that it's it's a mixed bag. You can argue, yes, he still has a hammerlock on the Republican Party, and you can point to fundraising and how much people kowtow to him and how, you know, they, they, they defer essentially to Donald Trump as the de facto leader of the party and how the press treats him that way. Or you can point to some of what I was citing before. Uh, one interesting thing, though, about what you just said is I, I just I, I can't let go of a personal hobby horse of mine, which is you get seven or eight emails a day and you are 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 outside the cult, right? So you don't you don't soak all this stuff up. But imagine the psychological impact on people who are inside the cult or who get the emails and maybe are a little Trump skeptical at this point, but you know, they're still kind of on board with him, you know, they're longstanding Republicans. Imagine the psychological impact of having this kind of messaging pumped into you. Day after day after day, people say, you know, oh, all this negative messaging, it doesn't matter. It's just fundraising rhetoric. It's it's the same content. It has the same effect as every other piece of marketing and advertising and propaganda that we're exposed to. And I think we've really, really missed the boat on just how much of an effect all of this is having on our psyche. If if we're wondering why people are so polarized and angry and negative, maybe we should take a look at how much 
fundraising, marketing material we're having pumped into us from all sources every day. You know, during during his campaign and in the early days of his presidency, there were a lot of people, probably myself included, who said, "Oh, the American public isn't going to buy this. My God, he's throwing out lies. He's just he's just he's so obviously ridiculously overstating cases. Nobody's going to believe this or buy this." Four years later, the American democracy was beginning to crumble because he had managed to destroy institutions, destroy faith in law and order, destroy faith in our our electoral system, and so on. So, yeah, to suggest that, oh, people will see through this, I'm not sure that's right. That's it for Beyond Politics. Thanks so much for listening and for rating and reviewing and subscribing. All of those things that you do really do help us out, and we will see you next time.